0: Hi, this is Alexandra Reese, and thank you for joining me on another episode of Empowered Leadership where we bring candid conversations with exceptional leaders from diverse backgrounds to inspire your leadership journey. This is part two of my conversation with Brian August, the chief financial officer at Oregon Humane Society. If you haven't already listened to part one, I would encourage you to do that now. You can find it wherever you download your own podcasts. And without further ado, let's dive into part two. A common thread has run through our discussion that I wanna uh, ask a follow-up question about because I think it's really important. And that is around bringing the right perspectives into the room, building a strong team, developing people. I mean, that that seems like one of the most important roles a leader has played. You've brought it up in your answer to almost every question or response to everything I've said today. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about your approach to developing people, bringing them into the room, making sure that there's enough psychological safety and team cohesion for that perspective to be welcome, embraced, and really drive the organization forward.
1: Sure. I'm a big fan of Strength Finders. I use that with all my teams from a perspective of understanding what makes a person tick, but also from broadening, especially for someone who may be earlier in their career, or haven't had the exposure there, there's other ways people are constructed. And so making the assumption that this is logical and intuitive for me, and therefore it should be for everyone is a false path to go down. Everyone has their own background, their experience. We talked about intuition being based on earlier experiences in life where decisions were made or not made. And so helping people understand what makes them tick and then how to ask how to learn from others what makes them tick. In terms of making sure there's safety in a group before you bring them in, I think what I'd say to that is uh, what I've, a couple of things. One, I've learned you can't force people to develop. You can't push them or pull them. You can only support them. You can challenge them, but it's their challenge. It's not yours. You can't write a development plan for someone because that's your development plan, not theirs. And so what what I've had to learn the hard way many times over again is I can set the circumstances, I can set the the expectation of like hey, we're going to do a development and growth, that's going to look different for each person, but we're going to do it. And but that person may or may not choose to do it. And if and if not, I have a choice of are they are they who I need in that role. I've also found you can't protect people. So in terms of creating psychological safety in a group, I've actually gotten away from trying, I do my best to create that within a group through my own actions, through my own conversations for how I respond to maybe challenges or decisions that were wrong and say, well, what do we learn from this? And trying to, trying to frame it up of, hey, this is an opportunity for us to learn. Let's get away from like, well, you should have done this, you should have done that. But the psychological safety and, and not protecting people is let people see where teams are. And that's hard because I want to create a very safe space for these folks that may not have been exposed to this before to come in and really have a great experience. And then I realized having them come in and maybe not have a great experience or maybe seeing where there's not safety is, is just as instructive, assuming you, you debrief with them afterwards. How do you think that went? What do you think that person was asking for? What do you think was going on in the room?
0: Yeah, I maybe to summarize, a few things I'm hearing you share that are really important. One, set the expectation. We are an organization that values growth and development. And here's what that looks and sounds and feels like. And here's what that means for you. Two, if people aren't willing to meet those expectations, you need to make a tough decision around, is this the right person for the role? It's not about them being a bad person. Mm. It's about, are they the right fit? And then, three, creating accountability for when people don't meet expectations, which they won't. How do you deal with that? And creating space for people to feel like when they fail, it's about learning and growth and continuous improvement. It's not about sweeping it under the rug, hoping it'll get better. Uh or letting it fester. And I see that happening so often. People hoping it will get better because they like the person there. We want to be optimistic. We don't want to be unkind or they didn't set the expectations in the first place. So they have no expectations to fall back on, which makes it really hard to give that type of constructive uh, more qualitative or behavioral feedback,
1: yeah. and I, I yes, I, I think you summed up what I said in a lot more words beautifully. And I think this is when we talked about sort of the three-legged stool of the feeling, the physical manifestation, the feeling or emotion, and then the logical thinking. I think when you're talking about the the folks that are working on this, that intuition, and this is what I've learned in my time, and I think this is common for leaders is you get an intuition of something's not working. Mhm-. And rather than ha- stopping, having that conversation, setting the expectations, you you sort of say, "Oh, it's just a feeling." They're high performing. Maybe they're really good fundraisers, or they're really good salespeople, or they're really good finance people. You shove that down. You just don't acknowledge that. And that it, it's not always the case, but often that can be an early warning or early signal of like something's off here. And maybe it's expectations, maybe it's values, maybe they're not in the right role. It might not be the right organization, mm-hmm. um, or they they might be missing. There might be a gap with skills which you can work on, but until you identify that, they're not going to work on it because they don't know. It's, it might be a blind spot for them. So I I think this kind of brings it full circle to to say that the intuition and making sure you're bringing all three of those into there allows for the account, the, creating the safe space, creating the accountability, creating the 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 expectation of growth. Without, without the understanding of your own kind of three-legged stool, yeah. you really challenging to, to do that consistently.
0: Absolutely. You've got to do the self-work.
1: Is that what it all comes back, down, back to again?
0: I think we've come full circle on that. I think we have. <laughs> you know, there were a couple of things I wanted to ask you about before we ended our conversation today. One is around how you've approached developing yourself. You've shared a lot in our conversation today about, you know, learning experiences, moments of development for you, things that you've worked on. How have you approached that self-development work?
1: Yeah, so I, I, I've i approached it, well, it's changed over the years, I should say. Particularly as I've gotten into more of environment, and I think the higher you get as an executive, higher, further you get along as an executive, the more you, you have to figure out your own path for self development. And as, as I've done that, a lot of reading, I have an executive coach I use uh, who's been really helpful and a lot of trying things. And I've had to, there's two things I've had to get comfortable with, with that trying things is, is one, comfortable with failure which when you are a motivated executive, this is going to work, we're going we're gonna to try this thing and be ready to say, it didn't work. Hear people when they're saying it didn't work versus doubling down. You're vested in it. Of course you are. You spent time, energy. Um, I think that the second piece is grace, empathy for yourself. So saying you should have done this or you should have caught this, it's, it's not helpful in terms of your development and growth instead of instead of saying, you know, I'm going to continue to make mistakes. Can I learn from this so that the mistakes I make are new, are, uh novel for me, and I can learn something from it? And trying to take that as just, it's a process of life. We go through, we make mistakes, we get better, and then we die. So it's a little morbid, but like that, that's kind of how we go here. And Hopefully, you can impart your mistakes to others so they can avoid them. But generally, what I found is you can do that. But if they're not ready to listen, they're going to have to go out and make maybe the same mistake, maybe a different mistake. And you you do the best you can for for others around you. So really, a a lot of consistent work, a lot of self-reflection, and much more listening than talking, which you may not be able to tell from this podcast, given the amount of talking I'm doing. But as we get into meetings, as we get into situations, I've, I've tried to step back, take that mountain view and say, what's going on here? You know, whether it's a strategic question, whether there's interpersonal dynamics, and trying to apply all the things I read, all the things I practice, all the things I try to get feedback on. Um, that's really how I try to key off my my development.
0: Yeah, that feedback, that point about feedback is so important. i always ask leaders when we're starting a conversation about potentially working together what when was the last time you got feedback from someone in your team about you your performance your development a decision you made how you showed up anything and i am consistently surprised <laughs> at the number of people with whom i speak who say i don't remember or Well, in one-on-ones with my direct reports, they'll sometimes give me feedback, but I never hear anything from anyone else. And to your point, the further we grow as a leader, the more what we need to do to develop is unique to us. Mm -hmm. And so we've got to have that drive to chart our own path. And we've got to have the contextual input to inform what is that path. Because leadership, first and foremost, is a service role. Mm-hmm. We're in service to our customers, which are our team, because if we serve our team, they'll serve our end customers or stakeholders. And so we've got to get just like organizations are customer obsessed and getting feedback from their end customers, you've got to do that as a leader from your customers who are your team. And then you've got to get support.
1: Yeah, and you know one of the things that for me, an anchor point is each year, I do a a sort of a mini 360 for myself. So Mm -hmm. whether someone is reporting to me as an executive assistant or is our chief medical officer, I frame up four or five simple questions and and email and said, we can either get together and discuss it. You can write it down. And just to see from their perspective, what is it that you like that I'm doing? Like What is it like, please keep doing this? Absolutely. What is it that you don't, you wish I'd stop or do less frequently? And then what are things that I'm not doing that you wish I would? And it's it's always an interesting exercise. And often, if I see patterns, then I'm able to take that feedback and say, hey, there's a few people that mentioned this thing. And that's really helpful as I try to get to be a better leader to better help them. Equally as often, I learn a lot about the person providing the feedback. What's important to them? Where are they struggling? Where are they struggling with me? Where are they struggling with others? And that is also helpful as I try to continue to help them develop and grow. To your point, I am always surprised because each year with the executive team reporting to me, I would say, you are free to use this or any other format. And I would encourage you to reach out to your peers, reach out to your teams, reach out to other people in the organization and do something similar. And I don't know, I don't think any or few, if any of them have done that. And I get it, we're busy, and they may have different mechanisms of doing that. But for me, I don't know how else to to triangulate around how I may be showing up as a leader and how I can better service uh, the individuals that are working for me. Because giving feedback for them, I think, is a safer way to really reflect on where they are.
0: hmm Yeah, feedback as a tool cannot be overstated. That's worth a whole separate conversation and something I write about a lot because it's, I would say, a foundational element to psychological safety and trust and growth. Because if you want to grow, you're going to be doing new things. And every time you do new things, especially if they're outside of your comfort zone, you're probably going... To do things that don't quite land right, you would do differently next time. And if you're going to really learn and grow from those experiences, you've got to be able to get and receive and give feedback. And yeah. so many teams are so uncomfortable with doing that.
1: Yeah. And it, it can, and sometimes you get feedback and, and it hurts. It yes. hurts personally. And you have to, that discount, like you said, nothing is easy that we're doing here. So you, you have a decision to make and say, well, I can ignore the feedback or I can not get the feedback and just assume everything's okay. But if you really are committed to grow as a leader, can you take the feedback? Can you take it, do the the whole physical feeling, the, the gut punch, whatever you want to call it, the emotion of like, hey, I feel really hurt by this, to the thinking of like, what's behind this? And what are what are they telling me with this? And I'm free to agree or disagree, reject it, agree with some of it. But if you can get to that, there's usually things that you can take from there. Like, at least with this individual, I can see how that approach may not have been the most effective to get the best out of them, to help them get to mm-hmm. to bring their best to the organization. And ultimately, if it's a service that we're doing as leaders, we owe it to our teams to live in that discomfort, to model the ability to be vulnerable, to to create that safe space like, look, you don't like something I'm doing, give me feedback. I'm not going to bite your head off. What I'm going to do is ask a lot of questions because I'm curious to see what might be there that I can improve on. And if you're going to do that, I'm also going to ask that you may get something back that may be feedback for you to improve on, not as a tit for tat, but just as something as something we expect from our leaders and from our, our teams, it's like, look, I'm going to develop, I'm going to hear this. I need you to be able to put yourself in a space where you can get feedback as well.
0: That's a somewhat contrarian perspective and one I 100% agree with. <laughs> Often the conventional wisdom or guidance on feedback today is when somebody has feedback, you listen, you ask questions to learn to understand, and you don't respond. And it is important for feedback to be bi-directional and for there to be a comfort with digging deeper and saying, okay, I'm hearing this. Let me ask you a few questions. Let's learn more about this. Now, here's my commitment to you. Now, how open are you to talking about how can in the future you also show up in a way that enables us to avoid this situation, to do better next time? And that's a a fine line to walk. (laughs) And I think one reason I always encourage organizations who want to work on feedback to create feedback triggers that aren't associated with negative things happening. Yeah. So interval-based triggers like as a team, we're going to meet weekly or monthly and just have an open conversation similar to what you do with your 360. What are we doing that we should keep doing or do more of? What should we stop doing? And what do we need to start doing? Yeah, And also have project or deliverable or milestone-based feedback triggers where when this thing happens, we're going to give feedback. And then you're not waiting for something to break or something to go wrong. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I just feel like I can receive right now, but I've got some questions. And maybe maybe there's something for both of us to work on here.
1: But I think you just you, you just touched on something that's so important. One... Yes, it's a fine line. So I guess when I said tip for tat, it's it's really important to not be that well, you're giving me this feedback. Let me give you some feedback. (laughs) That doesn't work. And if that's your tendency, you may know, like I tend to do that. It's like, yeah, well, then then don't do it at the same time. Schedule in advance a meeting where you're getting feedback and a meeting where you're you're gonna be talking about their performance so that it's not there's no tip for tat. Like we had this scheduled you and and so it it takes some of the the back and forth out of it if, if you can't do it in the same conversation because i think that is a hallmark of a really skilled leader and communicator just like you did there where you're framing it up and saying like let's talk about what i'm committing to do how i'm going to come to the table differently and let's talk about how you can maybe show up in a way that helps this situation too it's it's taking it out of the blame and the judgment mm-hmm. and saying like hey we have this issue we're circling the circling around Let's both commit to this. So it becomes more of a of a conversation and of a, a mutual approach to, to try to address a problem. So that, that for me, is is really critical. I think the other thing people sometimes tend to do is they have... Leaders will have this time scheduled, and they're so scheduled each day that that has to be the feedback session. So when I'm doing the 360s, I may have had a terrible morning. I may have been at a board meeting and got chewed out for whatever, or discovered a mistake on the financials, or my dog is sick, or whatever it is, it's okay to say, you know, I had a really tough morning. I'm not in a good space to hear what you're going to tell me, what you want to give me. And I value it so much that I don't want to diminish the ability Mm -hmm. to have this conversation. Can we reschedule? I've yet to run a situation where people are like, oh, yeah, absolutely. I don't want to give you feedback when you're in a bad mood. (laughs) And I don't want to get feedback when you're in a bad mood.
0: Yeah, there has to be schedule flexibility, and that's a whole other topic. (laughs) When I've dug into that, and I did this work with an organization in 2020, they were scheduled to the brim, teams felt like we don't have time for real work, and we spent a few months unraveling that and digging into it. And what we learned in that case was they had very ambiguous roles and responsibilities And there was too much centralization of power and decision making within the leadership team. And so what was happening was every time they needed to make a critical decision about a program, a project, change of course with a stakeholder because it was a nonprofit, um, they had to get a group of people in a room to talk about it. And so there were lots and lots of collaboration sessions that ultimately weren't making the work better. And when we sat down and worked through it, what we did was we created a like customer journey map for a few of their different key customer personas. And then we said, okay, what are each of our functions? And then we created a map and said, okay, what is each function doing for those key customer touch points? And what we found was there was a lot of like, you know figure eights that were happening, where people were just passing off the baton. And so over the course of a few months, we actually totally streamlined their services, delegated ownership, and then were able to reduce meetings by 50%. Wow. So that's an example to share. If, you've, if you're scheduled to the brim, so many people right now are talking about how to reduce meetings, no meeting Friday better agendas, sometimes there's a structural or systemic problem that needs to get addressed around roles and responsibility, power distribution, deal with it. Don't let it fester.
1: I'm so curious about it. Because you took that into a direction that I did not expect, which was the one of the core underlying issues was the centralized power and decision making. And and when you think about so I I am curious if I think you said delegating decisions and whatnot was part of that. How did you approach that with the, the I'm assuming it was the CEO or the executive mm-hmm. was the centralized decision-making power, who identified that was one of the issues and how did they address that? Because what, I, what I've seen is when you have that kind of, that centralized power, there's a, there's a reluctance to give it up, not oftentimes for good reasons, like, hey, I've seen a lot. I have I've really good intuition. I have many, many years of experience doing this. And I'm worried that someone's going to make the wrong decision.
0: That's such a good question. And this is how we did it. We did that work. We brought the executive team and department directors together to do that service blueprint work that I described. And we just objectively mapped out what was happening for one Uh, stakeholder experience? What's the service blueprint behind that? And we paused and we let people reflect. And we said, I started with the question, objectively, what do you observe? Without judgment, what are you observing? And the first observation was an obvious one. We have a lot of handoffs and a lot of points in the journey where multiple people are doing something and it's slowing us down. There's no judgment. Nobody's playing the blame game. And if we can all agree, okay, this is objectively happening, and it's creating outcomes that aren't serving us. Well, now we've got a shared foundation of a problem that we want to work on together and a shared understanding of what it is. And when we started there, and we got agreement on that, it was about not shame and blame. It was about, okay, we've got a structural issue here that we all agree is a problem. We all want to work on. Let's just talk about solutions in a non judgmental way. And so every person had an equal opportunity in that room to share what are my ideas? And that was a way in which the executive team, particularly the CEO who is a founder and had grown the organization, so who really had a hard time emotionally letting go. We created a safe space for them to explore what if, without that judgment or fear coming into play. And then what we did was we looked at, okay, where are there to our earlier conversation around risk and impact? Let's start with the low hanging fruit of what are relatively low risk, relatively low impact points in the journey or entire stakeholder segments that we could delegate down into the organization to start freeing up time. So we started with the easy, low-hanging fruit, tested it. How does it feel to let go of control of this? What can we learn? We learned, and then we started delegating bigger stuff once we'd put those new norms and new ways of working into practice. And while we were doing this, I was doing one-on-one coaching with the CEO and the COO and Uh, joint coaching with both of them to really work through what are the feelings that are coming up for me? What are the fears that are coming up for me? And we did that work that you described doing on your own around why are these feelings coming up? How true are they? The things that are creating them and what do I need to do so that I can let go of that fear?
1: Wow. That sounds like a great approach.
0: I'm doing it now with another organization, and it's going great. It's one of my favorite things to do because it's so transformational. It really changes the day-to-day experience of working.
1: And one more question on that, because I think you make it sound so easy. What was the span of time you really worked on that?
0: End-to-end, it was, I would say, a six-month engagement. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was some follow-up coaching that continued to happen with uh, department directors and members of the executive team to work through challenges as they arose. Because challenges will arise when you're trying to do new things. To our earlier conversation about psychological safety, creating an environment where you can grow and work together effectively, it's, it's about learning how to work through those challenges in a productive way. And they didn't have those norms as a team. So doing that coaching allowed people to first do the self-work and then to walk into a conversation with the team in a way that they were able to remain calm, more objective, and really exchange feedback that felt healthy and move the organization forward. And that work lasted another, I think, three to four months.
1: I I love that approach. And what I loved about it is the way you framed that up for them is just like we were talking about where you just don't leap into an Ironman. You just don't leap into... We're now psychologically safe as a team.
0: All right. You've brought up Ironmans as an analogy or metaphor a couple of times now. And you mentioned in an earlier call we had that you've done 13, which is a tremendous accomplishment. What leadership lessons did you learn through doing 13 Ironmans? And maybe for those people who aren't familiar with it, share what exactly an Ironman is before you share your lessons learned.
1: Okay. Well, glad my humble bragging paid off. (laughs) (laughs) So I have done 13 Ironmans. Ironman is a, is a, is a triathlon distance. It consists of a 2.4 mile swim, a 112 uh, mile bike ride, followed by a marathon, which is 26.2 miles. So you do that all in a row. I've had questions like, well, so do you do that over several days? Like, nope, you just do it straight. You have 12 hours to finish or sorry, 17 hours to finish. So I've done 13 of them. And uh, there's a few things that I've taken away that have really translated well to business. And one of them, when I first started, I I was a college athlete, I was a swimmer. And so the mentality when I was growing up and I was swimming is just go as hard as you can. You, You go in you're doing sets, you're doing whatever, you just go as hard as you can. You get in a race, you go as hard as you can, which works the events were relatively short. What I learned from doing Ironman training is they they do a lot of heart rate-based training and you actually train yourself to be more efficient at lower heart rates because you can't go as hard as you can from the get-go because yeah. you're going to be up there for, for some people it's it's nine hours, for some people it might be 15 hours. You have to pace the day, you have to know yourself. So to do that, I had to slow down in my training. So it was interesting where the coach was saying, look, to go faster, you have to slow down. Translate that to business. And we talk about like, you got to build the muscle memory. And so you can't go out all in right off the bat. You have to understand you you need to slow down. You need to figure out what works, what doesn't before you can accelerate things. And, and you will get to a better place faster, but that initial kind of slowing down is really hard to do for people that are have always been taught or have always been successful at driving straight ahead as fast as they can. So that's that's one of the key things that I've taken away. I think the other thing is what I the euphemism I use is this too shall pass where whether you are on a long 6-hour training ride or you are in the middle of a, you know, 10 10-hour race, you're going to have ups and downs. And the only certainty is you're how you are feeling will change soon. <laughs> so if you are mired in things are going terrible, or you just can't get traction or whatever. One always always eat. So like if you're feeling depressed or you're crying on the bike, and literally I've done this. You're feeling sad during the Ironman. And they're like, oh, I've had more experienced People say, oh, that you need to eat. And sure enough, the next time I ran into that situation, yeah. like I'm like, oh, this is terrible. I'm never gonna finish. You, you have a power bar or whatever. And you're like, oh, I feel okay. You know, 20 minutes later, it's like, oh, okay, that's what's going on. So, same thing. Also, when you're feeling really good, it's be careful about then starting to push things because you're like, I'm on the bike. I still have to run a marathon. Stick to the plan, stick to, you know, Mm -hmm. well thought out plan. And, you know, this high that you're on right now is going to pass because then when you're on mile 10 of the run, you're probably not going to feel great. Or you may not feel great. You may feel good. Who knows? And so, same thing within businesses as we are doing change as we are going through this discomfort as we are doing these hard things sometimes we're going to we're going to see a win and we're going to get really excited we're going to see someone the light bulb goes over goes off over your head over one of your team members head and all of a sudden you're you're walking on clouds and the next day you'll come in and something will happen and you'll be like we're we're never going to get there you are you're going to get somewhere and it this is going to pass, and then something else will come up, and there'll be positive, they will be negative. So that ability to persist and be consistent through that, what do, what do I know, and then how am I navigating this? What am I choosing to experience here? That is probably one of the, the best learnings I've taken away from, from Ironman that is applicable not just to work, but just to everyday life of, yeah, things are going to happen. Really bad things are going to happen. Really good things are going to happen. And do your best to stay present, understand what you can control, which is how you respond, and understand that this is going to pass and you'll, you just got to keep moving forward.
0: So have a plan. Oh, that's a good one. Pace yourself. <laughs> uh huh. Knowing it's not even a marathon. Sometimes it's an Ironman. Yeah. Uh, stick to the plan as best you can. Don't. Yeah. Start running fast because things look good and then burning yourself out or your team out. Know in advance and prepare yourself for the ups and downs, the emotional ups and downs that will come. And then the fifth thing that uh, you didn't say explicitly, but is an important lesson embedded in there is when we have those negative emotions, just because we know they'll pass doesn't mean we shouldn't, to our earlier conversation, pause and ask. What's going on here? And is there an unmet need that I can satisfy? And an Ironman, it's food. Sometimes in the organization, right now, I see a lot of people carrying some form of trauma from COVID, be it from the loss of community, the loss of loved ones, the loss of things that used to bring people joy, anything. Mm -hmm. And they're carrying that forward. And those are things that become unmet needs that will. Create negative emotions in the workplace when we create change, transformation, try and increase the speed, and we start to trigger those traumas. And you've got to not just push by them. You've got to pause and take care of them.
1: I think that's right. You should write a book. I feel like you got your five ways to that Iron Man trans, translate to, to everyday life. Maybe
0: you should. <laughs> you've done the Iron Man. <laughs> I will add a. Caveat. I'll help you. I'll help you write it, but it's your book, your you lessons.
1: The, <laughs> um, the caveat I will add to the stick to the plan, and I see this in business too, is sometimes there are external things that happen that necessitate going away from the plan. Yes. You know, example: You feel a a pulled muscle on the run for an Ironman. Don't keep running if it hurts. Like if it if it yeah. not if you're like physically exhausted. No, if it's like oh, I think I'm doing some damage to my body. Well, you might have to change your plan or you have an equipment failure on a certain piece and you're like, oh, or something breaks on the bike. You get hit in the head on the swim and your goggles fall off. It's like, okay, we might have to do this a little bit differently. Your overall plan is staying the same. You still want to finish the race and you still want to do the best you can, but the external circumstances in which you operate may have changed. You may get a drafting penalty on the bike and you say, well, I was planning to be here at this Mm -hmm. time and now I'm on this time. In business, this happens all the time. I'm thinking COVID is a great, you brought up COVID and trauma, great example where in March of 2020, we had just started building, literally just started building a $40 million expansion adding a community veterinary hospital and a rescue center, COVID hits. What do you do with that? And you know, in that situation, I was like, look, We don't know what's going to happen. This seems really serious. What I would like to do is pause this. And what we can do is get it to a place where we can pick it up with relatively, you know, little work. But let's pause this, knowing we'll add a little bit of cost. But if we need to preserve jobs or cash, we're going to be in a better situation to do that. And so literally for three months, we paused our work. And then as we kind of had a landscape of like, this is going to be here for a while we're doing okay financially, we had the PPP loan, we had kind of the fundraising uh, in good shape, we could say, you know what, we can we can resume this. We have, we sketched out the finances for the year, but that pausing was saying something has changed externally. We need to reevaluate if this. If we continue following the plan or we need to deviate. And fortunately we were able to follow the plan, but we, I can easily imagine a situation where like, look, we if we want to preserve our ability to pay our people, we can't do this we're going to mm-hmm. extend it. And that's, you know, that's a strategic choice to make, but it's it's going away from the original plan and saying this is what we got. So how do we do the best we can under these circumstances?
0: Yeah, and building on that, being able to really pause and make a decision about pivot, that gets back to the importance of doing that risk management up front. Yeah. I did a scenario plan with a school district back in About 2015, and we never imagined COVID. That was not an explicit thing that came up in our scenario matrix as an uncertainty that we needed to create some type of scenario around. What we did do was consider what would happen in a low funding environment where property taxes dropped, and all of a sudden we needed to think differently about how we educated kids. And so we explored, what would it look like to do remote learning? And how do we bring kids outside of the classroom? Wow. And that's an example to share. It's always important to be thinking about our uncertainties. The goal is not to predict or plan for every potential uncertainty. The goal is to say, are there... a Four to six representative drivers of change or areas of uncertainty that if we plan for those, it's going to allow us to really get a grasp on how we could respond to a variety of uncertainties or eventualities that may come our way
1: yeah you're you're absolutely right,
0: so we have had a wonderful conversation covered lots of ground. What, if any parting words do you have for? those who may be tuning in today?
1: Well, you're listening to the right person. I have the utmost respect for, and you've been a, a, a great friend and colleague, and you've helped us in terms of our strategic planning as well. You know, I, I think staying curious and listening to different perspectives is probably the best thing a leader can do. Once we feel like we've made it and we know it, I think that's where we get into that trap of, of maybe uh, missing missing things, missing signs, missing opportunities to grow. It's a lifelong pursuit. There's, there's no arrival. It's going to keep going. So that's that's what I'd leave your listening audience with is just, just keep being curious.
0: Those are excellent parting words. And if people would like to find you and connect with you, where can they do that?
1: Uh, of course, LinkedIn. Uh, my profile is... My name is Brian K. August, and you can find me on LinkedIn.
0: Thank you for joining me, your host, Alexandra Reese, and our guest, Brian August, on another episode of Empowered Leadership. To find out more on how you can improve your leadership, life, and impact with ease, and joy, please visit my website, opastrategy.com. That's O-P-A strategy.com. And then please make sure to search for Empowered Leadership wherever you get your podcasts and click to subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. And if you enjoyed this one, please do share with a friend or a colleague. It makes a big difference. Thank you so much and have a lovely day.